Well, we're here to talk about hope. And uh, Heath just mentioned that we, we need to have hope. So the first thing we'll do is we'll pray together. So let's pray. Almighty God, we are thankful for your great goodness to us. We're especially thankful for what you've given us in Christ, because in Christ you are God, but you are even more our Father. You have loved us with that everlasting love you give us and show us your goodness and glory every day. So we pray today as we open the scriptures that uh, you would make them alive to us and that you would apply them to our hearts, that you would use them in our lives. And for those people that come today that have a special need for hope for a tragic situation or a troublesome time, we pray that you would minister to them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we'll be looking at uh, a couple of verses. I hear my upstairs. It's not on. I turned it on. Can I see a moment? They're not getting up there. It says on. It does. Your battery is dead. Well, it's on. It can't be. I just started. Like I got plenty of juice. I think you should be okay. I'll go check it back. You got it? All right. If I come back, that means something's wrong. Okay. Well, we'll just continue. So we're going to look at two verses a little bit in depth and then talk about some others. So let's turn first to the book of Romans in chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to read just an excerpt. This was an email a lady at our church received from an acquaintance of hers. It goes like this. This fellow David is writing and he says, Since about ten people actually look at my posts, this will be largely ignored, which is a good thing. First, my life stinks, and it will undoubtedly not improve, not with this Fourth Reich ending the American experiment once and for all. My interest in living on this planet is headed towards zero. I've been talked out of suicide many times, and then I learned how to talk myself out of it. I assume that my various physical issues will eventually stroke my brain out in an explosion of stars and pain, or my body will allow an inability to walk or work, and I will be left to rot in this new world order, as medical care will only be available to those happy, wealthy few." Or I will be incarcerated because my name and soul and person is invested in the alphabet soup that is LGBTQIA. This this past year has been the most consistently bad year of my life, and the hole continues to get deeper in every way. If you are a close friend of mine, don't worry. I am simply recognizing that whatever amount of time my skin suit and skeleton have left, 
I am checking out mentally each day a little more. Thanks, ciao, David. Now there's a person that has no hope for anything and they desperately need some hope. Uh, we've, we've prayed for this man and we hope that one day he will find the hope. We'll find out in just a few minutes where he can go for hope. So I was thinking about David. I was thinking about, uh, interestingly, popular Christian books. Now, if some of you will remember, years ago, the book that was very popular was Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. Uh, it was the, uh, the most best-selling nonfiction Christian book ever besides the Bible. Now, last year with the, or was that earlier this year? Whenever the, the Shack movie came out, there was that resurgence of interest in the Shack. And I'm thinking, what is it that these books have that makes them so popular? Well, they give people hope. And we can talk about the theologies of all of those books, and uh, uh, my friends and I do that. We love to debate theologies, but the one thing they do is give people hope. But why do we go to those books for hope? Christianity is the only source of hope, past, and future that we can look to. And it could well be said that the Bible is a book of hope, and on every page is a lot of hope. So we've read this passage in Romans 15. And let's look at that just a little bit. First thing we've got to do is define hope. Well, this Greek word for hope here in this Romans 15 passage uh, essentially boils down to a desire of something good with the expectation of receiving it. So we all have that kind of sense. That's what hope is. Well, the first thing we see in this is that it mentions God. And if, if you know a little bit about some of the Greek language, that word is theos. And interestingly, that was not a word in Greek uh, originally. It was a word that was created by the heathens. Heathen pagan people that did not know God came up. They took the word theo, which is God, and made it theos. And uh, essentially, they looked at the earth and their experience, and they said, there's this person that is the former of all things, and that person is God. Heathen pagan people that didn't know God said, there is a God who forms and creates all things. So they looked at creation, and they looked at providence, and they said, it is God who has done this. So many times in in counseling, we'll, we'll attach labels to people. And uh, maybe you've heard the term life-dominating sins. If a person steals something and keeps stealing something over and over and over and over again, we call them a thief. If a person lies over and over again, we call them a liar. Well, right at the very beginning of this verse, God puts a label on himself. And he says that he is the God who over and over and over again is a God of hope. So right away he's attaching that label to his behavior. So he labels himself. He is the one who forms hope. He's the one who gives hope. He's the one who creates it. Verse goes on to say that now this God, this God is the one, this God of hope is the one that fills you with all joy and peace. 
And the word fill there is, uh, is a very interesting word. It's in a verb tense in the Greek that's very unusual. Now, if you, if you know a little bit about English, what do we have in English? About a dozen verb tenses or somewhere around there. We have almost a hundred verb tenses in Greek. So it's a much more precise language. So what Paul is saying here is he's expressing his wish that we would have all joy, total, all complete, total joy, total peace, total believing, and total hope. And interestingly, this word fill, uh, if we were to literally translate it, would be as a house with a perfumed smell. Now, we've all walked into uh, enclosed places, and there's that one person with a lot of perfume, right, or a lot of aftershave. There's a fellow at work. He keeps the door to his office shut, but you walk up to the door, you can smell his aftershave. And you open the door, and it just, it's, it's in the room for hours after he leaves. And Paul is saying to us as Christians, that's how we are to be. We're to have this complete odor of hope. And when you think about it, why wouldn't we? We're, we're the only ones that have any hope. Um, for now, for the future, we've, we've talked all day long today about having hope for change, that people can change. So we're the people that go into a room and the, the atmosphere of the room should change because we've all of a sudden walk in there and the room is full of hope. The room's full of lightness now and not, not darkness. So our perfume, the, the odor we ought to have, the thing that people ought to know right away about us is that we are full of hope. Then Paul goes on here to say that we should abound in hope through the power of the Spirit. So abound there is another one. This, this, this verse is full of these, these words that Paul uses to make sure that we get the idea that there's a lot of hope going on. Abound literally means to superabound or to be in excess. So he's saying when you put on that aftershave that it fills the whole room Put on a little bit more. Be, have excess of hope that we should have through the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in, in just a few minutes. So we get the idea right away that God is the one who forms hope. And he wants to give us that hope in excess and in abundance and in totality. So God is the source of our hope. Uh, that story we read about David um, elsewhere in the letter he mentions he's an atheist so does David have any hope no can he have any hope apart from God there's there's no hope for him uh, if he goes to human knowledge or uh, human philosophy he, he said that um, he's talking about the fourth Reich and the American experiment has ended well, it kind of indicates he's looking to politics for his hope. And all of us in the room are old enough to know that if you look for, to politics for hope, you're not going to find a whole lot. You're going to find things that make you upset, probably, and not hopeful. So God is the source of hope, and we find that we all need hope, including Christians. 
as, as Heath just mentioned, Christians in counseling need hope. And one of the thing, nice things about hope is that that can be given to a person even before we know what their need is. Now, you may not be a counselor, but you have friends, you have Christian brothers and sisters, you have sons, you have daughters, you have family. You need to have hope because some of those relationships aren't quite what we'd like, right? And some of those people aren't quite getting the idea that Christ is the source of a vibrant, full, and satisfying life. And some of those people look for other things. Well, we need to have hope that that can change, and and it certainly can. But when a person comes for counseling, the first thing we do is tell them, you now have hope. Christ can solve this problem, and the scriptures will give us the way to do that. And, and people come, uh, and people come to me, and they're downtrodden. And and as Heath was saying, he gets the tough cases. Well, I thought at first it was a conspiracy for me, as uh, I started counseling, and I had to do, uh, I had to renew my certification process because I didn't get enough hours. And all of a sudden, uh, this family shows up. Well, the son was charged criminally with. Uh, an abuse of a foster child. Fortunately, it, it, it wasn't such horrible abuse, but it was bad enough. The father was charged with, uh, um, what do you call it, obstruction of justice for trying to give the son legal advice about how to deal with the police. The son is now languishing in prison. The father's under indictment. The mother doesn't know what to do. The kids hate the father. And so uh, if you're a counselor, you know, that's about when people say, oh, I guess we need counseling. And that's when they come and say, can you, can you fix this? Well, no, I can't fix any of that, but, but God can. So within minutes, we can give them hope. And they go to a, a psychologist, and, and they, they don't get that. The psychologist has to say, well, maybe in one or two or three years or maybe this long time. Uh, but we can, we can say very clearly that God wants you to be free from this. They come and they think that their problem is huge, partly because they've been focusing on it. Psalm 25 says, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. God, bring me out of my distresses. Uh, I had a family come once. There's a mother here, the teenage son here, the father here. What's the problem? Well, he, the son isn't listening to me. What, and it became obvious, uh, as, as if you've ever counseled people, uh, a lot of times it's not the child's problem. It's both of the parents' problem. That was the case here. The, the son just wanted something different out of life than his father wanted. And uh, I had to counsel the parents more than the son. But one, interestingly, and we won't get too far afield, the thing that changed the son, I, I said, well, can I go out with, uh, with coffee, get coffee with the son by himself? And the father said, oh, yeah, we want you to talk to him all you want. So, so I asked the son this question. You're, 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 you don't like your father. No, he's overbearing and mad. And how's your mother? She's okay. I said, well, how often do you pray for your father? He said, you know what? I've never prayed for my father. And I said, it's hard being a dad. We don't know what to do with you. You didn't come with an instruction manual. 
we, we do the best we can looking at the scriptures, but maybe there's a blind spot that your father can't see. Maybe you can help him. I saw that boy three or four weeks later. His life was changed. He said, that made all the change. I knew I could pray for my father, and that gave him hope in this family situation. Most of the time we, we find out, and uh, this is true with one fellow that came, he came and said, well, I'm having marriage troubles. And I, okay, where's your wife? Well, she won't come. And uh, right away, you're, yeah, you all are thinking what I thought, which is why won't she come? Well, she, she, uh, she doesn't want to talk about this. She doesn't, okay. So you, you have those warning bells go off. And it turns out, I read a study a number of years ago uh, that said 87% of Americans have no close friend. When the study went on to say that they had no close friend they could call if there was a crisis in their life. 87%. Now that's hard for me to understand and and probably for you because in, in the church we have dozens of, uh, even if we don't like some of the officers, we could call a church officer and say, come help me, and they'll come and, and help you quite nicely. Um, but he had nobody. And the thing about counseling that changed him was having someone who would pray for him. He had never had another man pray for him. So that gave him a great deal of hope. So how does the world give hope? The world says, don't worry, this is going to end. That's not very hopeful. Or the world says, it's okay. Uh, someone will say, uh, you know, I'm a terrible husband, I'm a terrible father, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, I have this problem. And what does the world say? Don't worry about it, it's okay. So the world likes to minimize those sins because they have no way to deal with it. So they minimize it. Don't worry. You're just like everybody else. Everybody else has the same problem. What's the world offer when you go to your friend, well, not you, but a worldly person goes to their friend and says, I have cancer. There's nothing to offer. Or my wife died, my husband died, something happened. There was a, they have nothing to offer us. And as we talked about David, what did the world offer him? He had everything invested in politics going to solve the problem didn't happen very well so we all need hope including Christians and and why do we need hope well you and I need hope every day we go to God and we say God it's maybe you don't but I know I do I go to God and say it's me again this is this is uh, the the guy that's come thousands and thousands of times and, and said, yeah, I blew it again, and I need hope. I need hope that what God says in the scriptures that He's going to be faithful and just. He's going to forgive me, and that sin is going to be imputed to Christ. I need to know that right then. I need to know that clearly, and I need to have hope that He's going to do that. Maybe you go and say, uh, you know, can God use me? I've, I've, I've blown it so many times. I, I'd like to be useful in the church. I'd like to be useful to Christ. Can God use me? You need hope that he can do that. My son or my daughter is, is wayward. They don't, they don't believe in Christ. Or, 
or I thought they did and they've, they've, they've fallen away. I need hope to know that are they going to be with me in heaven? I don't know how all that's going to work with these sorrowful things. Uh, it'll be erased, but for now we need hope and we want those situations to be filled with hope. So how do we get hope? Well, the, the verse in uh, Romans says that the God of hope will fill us with joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the mechanism is that last part of that verse, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's look in that same chapter to verse 4. We'll look a little bit ahead. Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So these things were written that we might have hope. And what's that verse tell us? The means that God uses? It's the Scriptures. The Scriptures give us hope. Uh, So instead of looking to secular books or even Christian books, we can look to the Scriptures to find hope. And in this uh, verse here, we, we see that Paul talks about the comfort of the Scriptures. And comfort here is, as you've all heard the word probably paraclete for the Holy Spirit. Well, there's five different words for comfort, and they're all a, a derivation of, of that word. You've got paraclesis, parakaleo, so it's, it's all sounds kind of like that paraclete. That's what it means. The word really means... Um, begging for help or asking for help. And in Romans 15:4, when it talks about the comfort of the Spirit, or comfort of the Scriptures, it's talking about this calling for help or begging for help and getting help, encouragement, and exhortation. So we, we ask God for help, we beg Him for help, and where does that come from? That comes from the Scriptures. We've all experienced the the situation where we were troubled, we were anxious, we needed something from God, and we open the scriptures and start reading. And all of a sudden, those, those feelings change. Well, that's the Spirit using the scriptures to give us that help and encouragement. He's talking about Paul, and interestingly, Paul uses this word comfort in, in 2 Corinthians 1. And in that first half of that chapter, this is the, the time when he's talking about where there was that bad experience, and he doesn't, he doesn't say what it was, but he said, I despaired even of life, where it was so serious he thought he was going to die. And in the midst of that, the Apostle Paul can talk about comforting others. Well, that's, that's only due to the goodness of God. So that's what he's saying here. He's saying we, we have this help and encouragement and comfort from the scriptures. And the word have there is the one we want to, to emphasize a little bit. And this is the word that in, in Matthew, a couple different chapters in Matthew, that same word is translated where. So it talks about in Matthew 3 about John the Baptist was wearing these garments he had 
Well, that it uses that particular word. And in uh, Matthew 22, it talks about a wedding garment and a wedding clothes. And it uses this very word for have. So we could say, Romans 15, 4 at the end there, it says that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have or wear hope. So in verse 13, we said we should, we should have this aroma of hope. And now in verse 4, it says that it should be so much a part of us that, that we wear it. Now, we've all got that favorite pair of slippers or that favorite wool coat that's warm and fuzzy, and that's the one we go to when our friends come over and say, why don't you throw those slippers out? And say, no, no, those are my favorites because they're the ones that are comfortable and they keep us warm and that sort of thing. And that's what Paul's saying. Uh, It's not a bad thing to need hope or to crave hope or to want hope. He's saying you should. You should wear it. It should be such a part of you that you make it that part of you. And how do we get that kind of hope? Well, he's saying we get it from the scriptures. So in verse 13, when it's talking about the power of the Holy Ghost, verse 4 says... That power of the Holy Ghost is that gives us the comfort of the Scriptures are the Scriptures themselves. So, what are some situations where hope is important? Well, people with long-standing problems need hope, and there is the verse mentioned. There is Mark chapter five. That's the the account of the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years she had suffered with this problem had done everything she could didn't get any relief well she needs hope she needs, and, and she had uh, uh, she had heard even just the first four chapters of Mark if all she had heard was contemporary things about Jesus she had heard that he he had put a man in his right mind that was that was crazy and cutting himself. She had heard that he had raised people from the dead already. Uh, So she could have hope from that. But she had this long-standing problem. Humans were unable to help her. And it was very difficult for her. Um, Doctors had been unable to make her better. And what does uh, the verse go on? The verses go on to say, in fact, she, she got worse. She went to the doctors and got worse. Her hope, what little hope she might have had in in a human doctor had been destroyed. And she had tried it all, and nothing had worked. This woman was was in a tough spot. Um, She had this issue of blood in Leviticus that made her unclean. Uh, So back in that uh, time period in Israel, she she would be house-ridden. She wouldn't be allowed to have guests. Uh, can you imagine? How did she get her groceries? How did somebody had to have taken care of her, and they would have to leave them on the on the porch and, and walk away, and then she could open the door and get them. She couldn't have contact with any human because that would make the other people unclean. Um, aren't you glad for the new covenant? Aren't you just glad that 
that Jesus took all of that law on himself and, and, and died so that we could be free to serve a Savior where we didn't have to do that. Now, the Old Covenant was served its purpose, but, but I look at all of those things and I go, oh, I'm so glad for this, this new and better covenant. So people with life-shattering experiences need hope. Um, if you've counseled for a while, you know people come and they say uh, there was a death, there was a traffic accident, there was, there, there was something crisis. Uh, I got a call one morning from a, a business associate and he said, my wife died. And, and it was a tragic, overnight, it was a tragic event. And, uh, and you know, that, that affects all of us. So people with those kinds of experiences need to have hope. Um, people in the world have no hope of a future in that. Uh, and like David, the fellow we mentioned at the beginning, they don't have anything that can give them hope. But those are the people that, that I just love to counsel when they come in. Uh, because if you can imagine, for an hour, you get to talk about Christ with someone else. And you get to present the beauty of the Savior. And you get to say, the things you've been searching for are, are not going to give you any hope because it's impossible. But who's the source of hope? God is a source of hope that gives it without measure and with abandon and gives us plenty and gives us enough. Uh, Paul, uh, as we've mentioned in 2 Corinthians 1, had a need of hope when um, he was confronted with death. He thought he was going to die. Uh, He doesn't say what this is and we don't know for sure. Um, I tend to think it was probably the riot in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Um, the whole city was in an uproar against him. That's, that's got to be a pretty uh, a tough situation. And Martha, in John 11, was in a, a life-shattering experience. Lazarus had died. And she goes to Jesus and says, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. You think Martha could have had the start of bitterness right there? Yeah, maybe. We don't know. It doesn't go on to tell us. Uh, But that sounds like the words of a person that could be tempted to be bitter. And uh, probably when she saw Jesus crying over her brother, that became the thing. That if she was tempted to bitterness, she saw how much the Lord loved her brother and was probably able to, to get past that then there are people who feel hopeless and have given up. We have a a few examples in the scriptures of that. Ruth is the one that comes to mind most readily. She goes to her daughters and says, I'm old. I have no husband. And even if I did have a husband, would you wait for me to have sons and would you wait for them to grow up so that you could marry them? She says, now go and you know, live your life and, and try to make the best you can. Well, she had given up, and yet she sees the goodness of God in her life. Jeremiah writes, my strength and my hope is perished. I remember my affliction and my misery. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. And here's what gives him hope. 
And this is the verse that I'm sure all of you know. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. That's Lamentations chapter 3. Those compassions are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So we just read Scripture. And even without knowing Greek or Hebrew or any of that, we can read the English and we can say that that God has preserved this word for us. And we can read, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is present with his people. All of those things bring joy and bring hope to our hearts. Then we need to give hope to unbelievers. They are another group of people that need hope, and they have no hope. Natural man is lost, and he cannot change. Jeremiah 13 talks about, can the leopard change his spots? The answer to that question is no. The gospel is their only hope. The Ezekiel passage in Ezekiel 36 talks about God taking our hearts, and he takes those hearts of stone and turns them to hearts of flesh. So that's the first step for unbelievers. Because this God who is a God of hope is unable to give them hope. He's limited himself because they are not his children. And then those with life-dominating problems need hope. Well, first of all, the way we approach those gives a person a great deal of hope. Uh, If a person comes with... Uh, thieving or lying or immorality or whatever it might be. Um, what do we say about that as a, as a biblical counselor or a friend who knows biblical things? We say this, this isn't an illness that, that you can take a medicine for. This isn't a disease. This is a behavior problem. This is a sin problem. And right away, What does everybody know about sin? Well, sin can be forgiven, and sin can be changed. If if the person wants to change, then that behavior can be changed. And sins are easily forgiven to to repent of them. Um, The repenting is easy. Getting to the repenting sometimes is, is a little bit troublesome and a little bit difficult. Um... That Mark 5 passage with the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, she, she actually took her life in her hands because she could have been put to death by going into the marketplace. And she could have been put to death by touching Jesus. Uh, and and the, the, the account there is, is just amazing. She goes, and what does, she, what does it say? It says she recounts her story with trembling at the foot of Jesus. She says, I've had all these problems, and she doesn't know. Is he going to call the Sanhedrin police? Because he he would have been justified in doing that. He could have easily done that. They could have arrested her. She could have lost her life over such uh, an infraction of the law. But it's like when, when we go to Jesus, like I said earlier, well, it's me again. You know, what do we expect? She didn't know what to expect. She looks at Jesus and with trembling recounts this story. And what does Jesus say to her? Daughter, your faith has made you whole. He doesn't say woman. He doesn't say you heathen pagan, you, you, you Philistine. 
He says, daughter. That was a great healing, and I can imagine she felt that in, in significant ways in her, in her spirit. So people with life-dominating problems are like that. They have to go to God and say, God, I've been doing this over and over and over and over again, and, and I don't want to anymore, and I want to stop it. And there's hope for that because it's sin. And um, I don't know if any of you remember Will Loans. He, he was a pastor in Medina and a counselor. And uh, he chose to plant his church in, in the worst spot in Medina you could go. Prostitutes, drug addicts, immoral people. And he said, those are the people I wanted to reach. And... Uh, he tells a story. One fella came, was made a profession of faith, believed in Christ, and he, he told Will, he said, my mind is so full of garbage from all these years of drugs and immorality. I, I, I'm serious. I want, to get, I want to get rid of all of this. And he said, but, you know, I have these temptations. Well, what, what are you tempted? Well, I'm tempted to, you know, to, to go buy uh, beer. Well, when do you buy beer? Well, on the way home from work. Well, can you can you drive a different way home? Well, yeah, I can do that. Well, try that. Let's try. It. Came back next week. Said it didn't work. I I tried it for a day or two, and the urge, you know, became so great that uh, that I, I I fell. I went and I said, okay, uh, how serious are you about this? I'm very serious. And you're a member of this church. And he was a member of the church. And he said, uh, the, the elders love you and want to help you. So we're going to help you. Give me your car keys. Gave him his car keys. And he said, one of the elders will be at your house every morning to pick you up and take you to work. Another one will meet you at work and bring you home. And we won't be stopping for beer on the way, by the way. <laughs> uh, and they did that. And it helped this fellow conquer his sin. And uh, he tells story after story after story. He, he made some uh, men give, give up their credit cards because they would do things they shouldn't do with those credit cards. And, and they did it. And uh, it was, oh, I think a couple years after this fellow that he drove back and forth to work, he asked him to pray in church. This fellow had no idea how to pray in church. So he stood up. And he just recited all the Bible verses he had memorized. And he had memorized chapters and chapters. And he said, I've got so much bad stuff in my mind. Uh, I need to get it out. And this is how I get it out. So uh, Will gave his his, uh, member their hope by doing those things for him. And... uh, we need to do that. If, you, if you're uh, in a church position, uh, you, you may have to drive somebody back and forth to work, and that's okay. If, however you work these things out is, is what you need to do. All right, so how do we give hope to people? Well, the first thing we do is we have to make sure that we do give hope because lack of hope is, is unmotiv- unmotivating. And hope is one of those four things that uh, we, we do at every counseling session. The first thing we do is gather data. That doesn't give people very much hope. Where'd you go to church? How long have you been there? Well, you know, what's the problem? When did it, 
what crises have you had? That doesn't give people much hope. Then we give people homework. Well, homework can give hope. You're memorizing scripture or uh, you're, you're reading a pamphlet from Jay Adams. That can give you hope. Um, we counsel for change. People need to know that, well, you may need to change and you can because God can help you. And hope, of course, is where we focus in on that and, and give them hope for their, their issues. And the one thing we want to be careful not to do is, is minimize sin or minimize this behavior. And, and that's, uh, uh, that's very difficult because that's our normal inclination. Now, Jeff and I have been friends for 30 years, not really, but he knows me and I know him. And I go to him and say, Jeff, I'm a horrible husband. And Jeff's first inclination, like a lot of us, might be what? Bob, I've known you for 30 years. You're not that bad. That's the absolute worst thing we can do. So if you're tempted to say that to anybody, don't say that. Because that removes all the possibility of hope that they had. So what's the correct answer? You go, Bob, uh, I'm, I'm surprised by that. Uh, tell, tell me more. What's, why do you think you're such a bad husband? Now we've got things we can talk about and deal with. And so that's the way to do it. Um, so if your children come to you and say things that just shock you, um, you know, fight the temptation to say, Son, no, that's just the way we're going to do it, and that's it. I don't want to hear any more about this. Don't, don't do that. Say, well, you know, we need to talk about this. What, what Bible verses do you think this applies to? And, you know, we build in our children those things so that uh, they're ready to hear that. They know a little bit something about God. And uh, so don't minimize. We want to, if a person who comes and says, I'm a terrible husband, they may know something even... Being friends with someone for 30 years, we don't know. You know, there may be something they've hidden, some some besetting sin they haven't conquered that they've, you know, gone under the radar um, for that many years about. So uh, uh, don't minimize it. Let's, let's get it all up. If it's sinful, it's okay. I've told people in counseling, there's nothing you're going to say to me that's going to shock me. Um... Uh, you know, we're going to deal with all of it. All the, the Bible has all the answers for that. What did Peter say? He said, you've got everything you need for life and godliness. Um, so that's, that's where we start and that's where we end. And so there's a quote from uh, Jay Adams where he talks about this and he says that uh, we, get, we can give hope to people because they are not alone in their struggle. And this is from Competent to Counsel. And he said, Problems are not unique. They are not beyond one's ability to solve in Christ. And they will not continue indefinitely. This gives a sense of hope and assurance. So we don't get there first. We don't want to say, This is going to be over. We, we, we let that, we leave that for a little later in the process. But nobody is alone. There's nothing new under the sun. We've all experienced these things. And we give hope by helping them see their problem as it is. It's a sin that God can
can forgive right now. And if that sin isn't immediately apparent, their sin may just be unbelief. It, and not unbelief in the sense of they're not a believer, but unbelief that maybe they don't see how God can forgive this thing, or maybe they don't see the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the goodness of God. So we think of sinfulness and people that might come to us and say they, they're a sinner. And who's the biggest sinner of all time? Can you think of who that might be? I think it's Adam. He sinned, and what happened? People for the rest of human history are sinners because of Adam. Billions and billions and billions and billions of people. The entire earth became a sinner because Adam, as as the representative of the human race, sinned. So, do we have the problems we have because of Adam? Well, that's that's what theologians call that original sin. Have you ever heard that term? Yeah, my problem isn't so much original sins. It's these particular ones that I uh, that I like to do, you know. And and with you or with your friend or 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 child, whoever it might be, uh, that's where we're focusing. Uh, Because we say Christ can solve this. So whether it's the sin we inherited in Adam, or whether it's the sin we commit ourselves, or the sin they've committed, Christ is the answer, and Christ is the solution for that. Nobody can be a more heinous sinner than Adam was, if we look at the impact of sin. Of course, as, as Heath just said, we think of Psalm 51. Against whom have I sinned? Against thee, the only have I sinned. And it's talking about against God only. So um, our sins are terribly heinous because they're, they're against God. And, and yet in the scope of things, um, it doesn't take too long, just about 30 seconds by the way I read the scriptures, for Adam to sin and God to give Adam hope. And in chapter 3, what does God say? He said, Eve, you are the mother of all living. And and the theologians have a fancy word for that. They call it the proto-evangelium, meaning that's the first declaration of the gospel. God says right then, there's going to be one born that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. Right there, God says, I am going to redeem these people. And uh, it'd be terrible for Adam. He, how long did he live? 900 plus years or somewhere in there to, to live without hope and to live with the realization that his sin resulted in the fall of the world. And uh, uh, just came to me that not only the fall of people, but all creation groans in travail, doesn't it? For that day of redemption. So uh, God gave Adam hope right away. So we give hope by raising all the issues related to sin and all the issues related to Christ. Christ can forgive us, he can restore us, and he can use us. And that is a message of hope. 
And then occasionally we'll need to contrast the medical or psychological model with uh, neuthetic counseling, calling something a disease destroys hope because what if the medicine or the psychology doesn't work? Now there is no hope. Um, And I think intuitively uh, people know that psychology and psychiatry is really iffy and there aren't those big success stories that they've heard about. But even people only somewhat associated with Christianity know about sin and forgiveness. So that's where we, we focus. Uh, Christianity is future-oriented. I'm going to forget all those things that are behind me. That sin is gone, and I'm going to forget it. Uh, it's forgiven. I've repented. I've asked God to forgive me and cleanse me. And now we can go on. We can build a good future on that. And don't forget to pray for the person, as, as uh, I mentioned earlier about that fellow that came for counseling. Um, Often I, w- I would pray for him always, but often I'd, I'd be done praying and, and he'd be in tears because the Spirit had so impressed upon him. Um, and I don't think I'm a good prayer, and I frequently tell my wife that, you know, I'm, that, that's not what, what was working here. The, the Spirit was working, and so pray for those people whether it's, it's a counseling situation or not, or just a, a friend. Remind those people that they can change. They need to know that. They can change. Uh, as Peter said, remind them that growing in grace takes time, because he uses the word grow. But grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes time for that to happen. And tell them to look for the hope that God gives and rejoice in it. Romans 12, Paul tells us to rejoice in hope. And what's the result of hope? Well, we, we have an anchor for our soul. Hebrews 6 tells us that, that this is an anchor for our soul. God has begun to change you and he will complete it in Philippians 1. You can forget what is behind and you can look forward to better days. That's that Philippians 3 passage. And I'd like to read that Colossians uh, 1 passage, Colossians 1 verses 5 and 6, and just emphasize that God is bearing fruit in you. Paul writes, and he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven where you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come to you as it is in all the world, and it brings forth fruit as it does in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God. So that gospel and that grace and that hope brings forth fruit. And what is the result of hope later? Well, Jesus said... I go to prepare a place for you. And that's the place where we're going to go. And there is that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ from Titus chapter 2. That is the hope of all Christians. So we have a present hope now for this life that God can give us hope and he can change us. And the hope also extends into the future. 
Uh, you know, we're going to have uh, uh, probably, and uh, this is just my thought, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be glorified, and, and we're going to see our life in, in just, uh, I think, a short time. And we're going to see all those places where we didn't know how God was working, where we didn't know that that hope that he had shed in our hearts and that hope he had given us was bearing such fruit. And I like to think we'll, we'll see all of that in just a few seconds and then have eternity to think about those things and praise God for what he has done for us. So the, the, the gospel is great. Christianity is the one faith that gives us hope now and forever. All right, comments, questions. Doesn't have to be about hope, can be about anything. I hope if I did this text even a little justice, we're, we're all a little hopeful now. So, who gives us hope? God. He's the God of hope. He's the God who over and over and over again gives us hope. And he fills us abundantly with that hope. And how does he fill us with that hope? Through the scriptures. And what does the Spirit use in anybody's life? The scriptures. Does does the Spirit use the words that I spoke here today? No. Only when I'm quoting the Bible, he uses those words. Um, And uh, that's why being a, a pastor and preaching is... That's so difficult, isn't it? Because people are listening to you and they're going to take every word they hear. And, and uh, it, it better be edifying and encouraging and correct and biblical and all of that. So, All right, any counseling questions? Any tough cases? Well, we're all doing pretty good today. This is uh, this is delightful. What do you tell a woman whose husband left her? Pardon me. What do you tell a woman whose husband left her and is still in her life but doesn't want doesn't want to be her husband anymore? Well, first I would help her say I'm going to help you with your responses in this situation, um, but I want your husband's number and I want his address right now. And, and I mean, for me, I do a lot of counseling for people that are not in my church. So I'd, I'd say, first of all... I'm not her counselor, I'm yeah. her sister. So yeah. How do I go about it? Well, I'd, I'd want to find out, is that, is that husband a Christian to start with? Well, you used to think so, but maybe not now, right? Or maybe. So uh, is it a possibility? I mean, did he make a profession of faith sometime? Well, okay, if he did that, we're going we're gonna to believe that. And, and most churches interview people for membership, right? And they try and determine, was, was your profession real? Was it, you know, is it bearing fruit in your life? So if there's that, then I'd get the church involved and the church officers to grab that husband uh, verbally by the back of the neck and sit him down and, and just tell him, this is wrong, you are destroying your life and your the life of your family and your wife and you don't know it yet, let us help you 
Uh, and it's going to take, you know, a lot of uh, tough stuff for him. And uh, I've done many uh, marriage counselings. And he just puts his hand up. He what? He doesn't even want to talk about it. He just puts his hand up if somebody asks him about it. Okay. Um, all we can do then, if, if uh, you know, I keep trying. I'd never quit. Uh, literally, I would never quit trying to have some kind of relationship with that husband. Um, we give up way too easy on the hearts of, well, if you won't talk to me, you won't talk to me. No, if, you know, find a pastor. If, if he has no church affiliation at all, then, uh, then find a counselor or a pastor who's going to invest some time in him and, and do it. I mean, does he like to play baseball? Well, or what? Find a counselor or go join his baseball team. We give up our lives for people because that's important, especially if they're brothers and sisters in Christ. But even if this man isn't, what is his worth? It's the, it's the whole world. One soul is the whole world. So we do whatever we can, and it's, you know, it's hard. But you'd, you'd counsel the woman. Um, you're a victim here. Uh, You'd want to find out, first of all, is, is she a victim or did she play some part in this? And I know it's your sister. That's a hard thing for you to hear and for me to say. But um, I've seen a lot of wives sit across from me with bad husbands, and all of a sudden something will come out five, six, seven sessions later about the wife and, or about the husband. Uh, that guy I prayed for, oh, my wife is the problem. She won't come. Three sessions later... His wife came. She sits down and says, well, did he tell you about his drinking? Yeah. Well, no, he didn't mention that. Did he tell you about the time he was in the back of his pickup truck with the 19-year-old girl from the convenience store? Uh, golly, no, he didn't tell me about that either. So these, these things come out and, you know, you got to do it. But, uh, I mean, I had a case with a lady at our church uh, Husband uh, was in the military, he was an officer pretty high up. He goes over to Iraq, has multiple affairs, and comes home and says, I don't want anything to do with you or our six kids. Now, we sat her down, and, and uh, not, the, not the first time or second time or third time, but Later on, when this was a little healed, we said, "Now, nah, what are you doing? Anything that would have, you know, played a part in this?" And, and she wasn't. She was indeed just, just the victim. It takes it takes a long time for her to for her to trust people anyway, and it, it may for your sister. And uh, what's your sister's name? Loretta. Loretta. Can we pray for Loretta right now? One of the first things we, she said when to me about this was I messed up. Okay. I messed up bad. So I don't know what she did. She never told me. This was started like four or five years yeah. ago. Well, that's okay. We can deal with all of those things. Well, let's pray a, a quick prayer for Loretta if we could. Father, we've heard of Loretta and the difficulty she has. We, we pray first of all that she would respond in faith and belief. We pray for whatever that she might have done, that she would confess and repent of that. We pray for her husband, that he would see the truth, 
And if he doesn't know Christ, we pray that he would get such a vision of the Savior who is so beautiful and lovely and such a vision of his sin which is so dark and horrible and that he would repent. And we pray that you would save this marriage. We pray that you would put them together by the power of the Spirit and that the Scriptures would bear fruit in their lives. In Christ's name, amen.